Hello, I'm Brenna Pakes, graduate gemologist with a background in geology, as well as a former flight attendant. I've worked in the retail sector and now as a jewelry consultant through a blog and podcast. My mission is to connect shoppers to indie jewelers and designers who create beyond the commercial boundaries for shoppers who want to distinguish their unique style. I also share tips on how to care for jewelry you already have, as well as the stories of the designers I feature, and visit with experts in all aspects of the jewelry trade, along with social media influencers who serve to guide and inform as well. If you like jewelry that stands out and complements what makes you unique, then come with me today and board every episode for jewelry I've discovered by jewelers and designers who create with unique designs and rare gems for those who want to stand out rather than blend in with the trends. This is the Jewelry Navigator podcast. If your destination is a place to learn about and find unique jewelry, then welcome aboard and enjoy the episode. So when you come to us, you just have to understand that what we're giving you, it's a museum quality. It's just, it is not done overnight. That's how I got back into making this creations that we're doing is mainly to resurrect the art of jewelry making that is totally a lost art. And nobody does it because it's time consuming, because so much effort so much time and people just want to you know make stones they just want to put a sapphire two diamonds and move on that was ruben Simentov, our visiting guest in the departure lounge of jewelry navigator podcast today he and his team ruben is so devoted to respecting the processes that allow for an attention to detail that if challenged will refuse to work with clients not willing to respect the process and time it takes to produce his wearable art We had a few technical challenges with a poor connection on my end, but we got that fixed, and I'm so grateful to Ruben for generously sharing his time and story with me. We jump right into him explaining his background in antique and estate jewelry and the evolution to how he's come to create museum quality. Well, I like how your jewelry, it's just so much more exclusive. You don't find it in stores all over the place. No, you, you don't find it. But also, I'm, my situation is a little bit rough also. The demand is such that I cannot, unfortunately, produce. I have materials, but I don't have the work power or the manpower or, you know, to put this all together on a weekly basis, you know, 10, 15 pieces at a time. You know, we don't just mm. cast it and bring it in as you know, done and then say, have a good day. And here it is, you know, everything takes time. Everything we do, it has its own way of creating, you know, we make our own gold, we mix our own alloys, you know, our enamel is on green gold because it doesn't have any zinc that has to be all, you know, it doesn't chip. It doesn't crack when you fire it. So all of these procedures are very, very time consuming and very unique to finish because not everything comes out as you wish, you know, um, and the metals, the metals we work with, what kind of metals we work with. You know, I'm also a, become a little snobby by saying, you know, gold and platinum cannot be precious only. What's wrong with stainless steel? What's wrong with gunmetal? What's wrong, you know, all kinds of copper, all kinds of brass, you know, especially now. That's where we go. You know, I could have a small piece, but it has four different metals that you wouldn't even know is there. But the piece, they say, oh, why is it so beautiful? 
So that's why it's so difficult about my jewelry is how to get it all finished and come together because metals are tricky. You know, different metals uh, can react to certain things. Like, you know, if you get, um, let's say, gunmetal steel, we do rings. You cannot really solder gold to the steel. You know, it's, it just doesn't click together. So we have to inlay the top of the steel with gold, and then the bezel gets soldered to that gold that is inlaid into steel. Mm-hmm. That process alone is half a day, if not longer. Do you feel that because it does take longer that people don't understand it, so then they get impatient? Oh, no. I mean, again, my work, it's very tricky. The clientele for my uh, jewelry is very unique clientele. Um, what we do is, if we're going to start a process of making something, um, we don't give you time frame. We don't say, well, we'll be ready in six weeks or we'll be ready next week. We will give it to you when it's ready. Um, so the clientele has been um, kind of educated that if I'm going to make something of its caliber, of its style that they love and want, they just have to be patient. You know, and I have some people complain, okay, so, you know, um, I have this anniversary, this amount of time. We don't take that project. You have to have the time because, again, like I said, alloys, materials, everything matters. So everything cannot just work the first time. You know, if I get something out of casting and clean it and set it, it's done, yes. But this doesn't work that way because metals react, you know, so we have to make sure somehow everything works. So it could be two weeks, it could be one month. You know, I have projects that's a little bit over a year now, and the client doesn't say a word. If they do, I will return everything, and we will drop that clientele. That's how serious we are about it, because it just cannot. We cannot push, we cannot shove. It just doesn't work that way. Right, so, right. So when you come to us, you just have to understand that what we're giving you, it's a museum quality, it's just... It is not done overnight. My background is antique and estate jewelry, you know, very high-end antique estate jewelry that I work with, uh, you know, collectors and museums mostly. So people understand, you know, if you want that museum quality, you just have to be patient. And our market got, unfortunately, um, I would call it depressed because, you know, you have Asia, you have Hong Kong, Bangkok took over all the work you know, 20 years ago, and just everything disappeared, dissolved. People took things apart. So that's how I got back into making this creations that we're doing is mainly to resurrect the art of jewelry making that is totally a lost art. And nobody does it because it's time-consuming. They just want to put a sapphire, two diamonds, and move on. We do that as well. You know, we do very high-end diamonds. We do very high-end. You know, we just sold a 25-carat sapphire beautiful cushion cut unheated that's another area that we concentrate everything we do is natural with certificate for instance and that's even harder to produce because you have to find the materials i'm really happy to see that that people are appreciating the the high quality custom work and that a lot of the handmade special custom pieces that's becoming that's coming back into not into style, but um, more people want to see jewelry made here in the United States again. Yes, very, 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 um, somehow the art of the jewelry is in. Um, 
I could give you, you know, small uh, work that we do with canary diamonds that are one millimeter or point zero nine millimeter, and the way we work it. And if I put that in front of the client and I put a five carat canary diamond, um, I've tried it. Each one have chosen the point nine millimeter canary diamonds, and they all gasp. Oh my God! Ah, oh, how wonderful! And you don't even know there's a five carat yellow diamond sitting there. That's how it's gone to be appreciated again, like a, you know, in 19th century. Um, as a young man, I always dreamed, how do you, uh, I wished always going back into 19th century and get all those phenomenal antique jewelry pieces that were made then and bring it back to 21st century. And that was my dream. And then fortunately, the next thing I knew, I ended up being 19th century, so I guess Nantucket is also in my blood because it's such an old uh, island. You know, it's nothing is modern. There's no granite. There's no marbles. I don't know if you've been there. It's all shingles. It's all cobblestones. Um, the only thing is different. You don't see horse and carriages. Other than that, it's like really, you know, in the 1600s and 1700s. That I guess helps me um, of that era. So I guess that's what I started doing is making things that the way it was used to be made. Today it's very tricky. The jewelers are very tricky. Um, everybody's gotten lazy. Everybody wants coffee breaks. And, you know, then uh, in the 19th century, when you had jewelers, you know, there was something complicated. The jewelers in that house would fight for it because it was so difficult to do. It was so impossible to do. They would actually fight for it that I want to do it. Today, it would be so opposite that nobody wants to even look at it. No, 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 I, you know, it's not for me, it's not for me. So I have a staff now, including myself, is this is what we go for. We just want to do things that are really, really, um, you would think today is not possible to do, but somehow we do it. And the techniques, the techniques are into tools. The tools of today, the mechanics of today, the computers of today, I think has issues with what is being produced. You know, I mean, we're on 40... I don't know if you're familiar with 47th Street, 5th Avenue, Jewelry District in New York. People throw things out from 19th century, these amazing tools, these machines that you roll with the wheels, what it does to gold, what it does to gold wires. So, you know, my staff and I, we're always grabbing things and bringing trucks and picking these heavy, heavy things and taking it to our place. And the jewelry comes out totally different. That's why our jewelry looks and feels. You know, people tell me, what is it about your gold? What is it that it's so buttery, so soft? What do you do to it? And we never, we never put rouge or polish, high polish wheels. We never polish it. What we do with polishing is we have a cream, we have diamond powder that we mix, and then we have a cloth, and then we rub the gold. That's how we polish our gold. And it becomes this amazing, amazing surface that feels great. You know, when I put the ring in your hand, first thing I hear is, oh, wow, these are the comments that I hear. And when I hear that, we've done our job. Oh, wow. That's amazing. How did you go from antique specialist, jewelry antique specialist, to making jewelry? Well, again, you know, because I did such high-end collections that I was concentrating on at the antique estate jewelry. 
Um, we always had something that had provenance. We always had something that had appeared. It was always something from the World's Fair. So that was my goal of appreciating how things were made and how materials were good, but not like today, the material of the stone has to be the the focal point. I think the work is the focal point that we do. So we got less and less of this beautiful antique jewelry just dissolved. Uh, gold price went up in the air, $1,900, and just people just dumped it. Anything that was heavy, anything that was um, um, big stones, people took it apart and sold it. And my job was then, um, I would go to refiners. You know, I have um, deals with the refiners when people standing online, blocks and blocks selling the gold that they have earned. You know, you have antiquities. You have um, these rings that are made Roman Greek. These are solid, heavy gold. So when it's heavy, it's chunky, that means more money, more on the scale. So I would go and they would give me all these buckets and buckets of these paint buckets full of jewelry that people have sold. And we would turn it upside down, and I would sit there for two, three hours every day going through it to make sure something is not going that doesn't belong. I mean, we pulled out rings 12th century A.D. from Java. We, we pulled out A.D.s. We pulled out B.C.s. People who inherit, they had no clue. They think it's 24-karat gold, and they go dump it and make extra $2,000, $1,000. So that's where all came together and I said, oh, my God. You know, why are people doing this? So I started saying, well, let's make something different. Um, I'm very Japanese. I collect Shikudo. I, I collect Ujimi. So I think my background comes in was mixed metal. Anything that's mixed metal was my passion. Anything that was dark with yellow gold stones, how it reacts to each other visually was my passion. So we did a gold inlay ring, and the first thing, response, we got, wow. So we made a second one, we made a third one. So that's how it all started. It got to be, people started appreciating what was lost. So that's what we do, what we do is, truly is to resurrect the art of jewelry making. Sure, we have special stones, always but it's to resurrect the art. So because the new generation, there's a wonderful, wonderful new generation that has come out somehow, I don't know how, who appreciates only this. They don't want 10 carat diamonds. They don't want 20 carat diamonds, even though they could afford it. They want whimsical. They want fun. They want subjects. They want organic. They want oceanic. They want to be, you know, some of these people have 10 carat diamonds. They have 15 carat diamonds. They don't wear them. And what they say is, where are we going to go to wear these anymore? So what we do is, you know, we make these minimal pieces of gold inlay, and that's what they wear. We do a lot of red carpet. We do a lot of benefits. So that's how it all started, because there was lack of jewelry that was made in the past with, you know, honor, respect, um, execution. You know, the execution dissolved somehow. And the certain individuals that I work with that work with me as well, these are mostly, mostly very, very highly educated. You know, the schools, these young people have gone, you know, the first year it's poetry. You don't do anything except poetry. Second year it's about art history. You must know your art history. You must know who, what, where, when. 
third year, we walk in into metals. What do metals do? What they react to? What kind of acids? What chemicals? How are you going to pull this? This is a certain kind of education that comes from, you know, almost six years to seven years of education. You know, there's mostly Russian that I have here. You know, we do work visa also. We bring them in, some of them, because they, they look at me. They say, you sell this in America? I'm like, yes, we sell this in America because of demand. So in Russia, for instance, nobody would look at an inlay. Nobody would look at enamel. Everybody wants that 20, 30 carat diamonds, diamond necklaces, diamond earrings. So they love that they have this education that's not wasted. And your great-grandfather was the Fabergé jeweler, one of the main jewelers. So it's a very, very delicate delicate, delicate situation, how you deal with this uh, group that could produce what we're producing now. So it's difficult because I have to take care of so many angles of individuals, how they think, how they see, how they feel. And feeling is everything, you know, how they feel. Their heart and souls are the, how do you keep that going? Everything else is easy. This is the hard part of design, I always tell people, is how do you get that person to be comfortable what they do and appreciate. So that's the clientele we pull. Anything we do is highly, highly appreciated. I could send you letters that I've gotten internationally that makes, I get goosebumps, I get tears, what people say. So we're on the right track. It's just we cannot make it fast enough, unfortunately. This is an amazing insight to the pictures just on your Instagram feed. I can't even imagine what it's like to physically hold one of your rings and, and feel it and, and admire it. It's fascinating beyond just the typical walk into a jewelry store and have something made. So I really appreciate you sharing so much of this with me today. Um, where do you get your inspiration for a lot of your designs? Well, like I said, you know, you know, people, um, we don't, I, I don't allow the word designer. Um, I don't do pictures. I don't do anything that says I. And usually people say, you know, who's we? Who's we? You always say we. Um, you know, you can't be a designer. Everything has been designed already. Anything that you could imagine that you think is a design, I guarantee you somehow, one way or the other, it has been done. And the designs are around you. Every design you could imagine is around you. I turn my head. I'm walking in the park. It's the most amazing you know, a branch is right there. There's a bird sitting on it. Guess what? I'm going to make a bird sitting on a branch. Mm -hmm. But what does that bird going to do on that branch is the key to the design. We made this uh, amazing bird. I mean, it is on Instagram. Um, it's a life-size chickadee bird. Um, the way we made it, the engraving, um, the beak, you know, the beak is in platinum. The way we did it, it moves. So because of the balance of how we structured the beak, so when you wear this brooch, 
it kind of moves up and down. It kind of, it sounds like it sings. I have a client who every two months basically calls me and says, we haven't heard from you. What are you up to? And if I say, well, I make, before I finish, the man says, I'll take it. And what these people do, and I say, I haven't finished the design. They send me money. And they say, when it's done, if we owe you more, let us know. If this is less, we want to keep it for the next piece. So this woman is actually from Charlottesville, Virginia. So she came. Um, we were in the Winter Antique Show in New York. I said, I have something for you. She said, oh, God, you scare me. So she knows what we do, uh, what mechanics we use, how things work. So I showed her this bird, and I said, isn't this beautiful brooch? She said, yes, this is not just a brooch. You made it. Something is happening to it. I don't want it. I said, okay. She said, what does it do? I said, it doesn't do much. So I said, let me put it on you. She said, no, you have to tell me first. I said, no, just let me put it on you. So she wore it for a second. So the way this bird was sitting, the way we did the legs, it almost has about two, three millimeters off your shoulder, if you're putting it on your shoulder, which we preferred for this piece. The way it sits, it's beautiful, the way the head is turned. So all you have to do is I squeeze the legs. She said, no. I said, I will do it. She said, fine. But she closed her eyes. She wouldn't look. (laughs) (laughs) When we squeezed it, there's a spring action, and the whole mechanical chest of the bird, like an old clock that used to chime going one way, it's going the other way. There's a wheel that goes inside and comes back outside, like almost a spring action. So when you mm-hmm. squeeze these little legs, the two wings just fly right open. And what oh, happens, wow. because it's off your shoulder by a couple of millimeters, you would think this is on flight on your shoulder that is not sitting on your body. I mean, people would say, oh, my God, it's going to fly away. Catch it, grab it, grab it. <laughs> That's how it looks when you wear it. And if I tell you when that the wings kind of shot out, if you hear the scream of this, <laughs> I thought people were going to just fall over and saying, what the hell happened? Is everything okay? <laughs> so this is where the design comes in, Brenda. You know, we could walk, we could look at birds, we could look at nature, we could look at crabs, we could look at lobsters, we could look at starfish. It always comes somehow to me that it should be made. But how it should be made is, I think, where my technique comes in is because the old world, what I used to you know, sell from 19th century, 18th century, 17th century, you go back, it always did things. You, know, you have um, these beautiful boxes that you know, suddenly a bird comes out, starts chirping, it's a clock. Mm-hmm. Who does that now? Mm-hmm. You know, who would take something that would come and do something while you're there? So everything is, I think, came together because of my experience of the old antique jewelry, the way it was made. And the other design comes to me as part of the inspiration is I had a kind of an old master, this 92-year-old man who loved jewelry, but loved it, not because it was jewelry. He just loved it. And he came to me one day and said, Ruben, I'll tell you what, make it easy. When you buy a piece of jewelry, always look at the back. You like the back. Buy the piece. Don't turn it around. 
you'll be doing just fine. Hmm. That's where it all clicked. That's where the inspiration came in. That's when I said, oh my God, how right he is. So if you look at my jewelry, there's impossible to look inside, outside, sideways, that something has not happened to it. So when you look at a piece of jewelry, it cannot be just looking, you know, pinpoint your vision, how it lies on the piece and say, oh, what a beautiful stone. If you turn it aside, it is as remarkable. If you look at inside, we had, we made a ring that had ants, but the ants weren't outside. You didn't know there were ants. There was these branches on the ring. But if you held the ring up in the air and you look through it, there was like three, four little black ants inside of the ring. And the woman who purchased it, there was a major sapphire inside of it. She had no idea there was a sapphire. That's all she talked about is, oh, my God, look at those cute little ants. And we're talking about little ants that are maximum two and a half to three millimeter long. That's it. (laughs) So this is where the inspiration comes. How do you take nature? How do you take things and evolve, involve in your designs? So my designs, uh, like I said, I'm not a designer because the designs have been done over and over and over and over. It's what can you do with the design today is I think, um, it's so unique in my line that people absolutely love and adore. So that's where, you know, an individual like yourself, you know, inspiration, you come to me and say, well, let's discuss this. I want to know about you. I want to know about your jewelry. This is where the inspiration comes in because some of my individuals today, I said, guess what? We're going to be talking to this wonderful individual who writes, injects all kinds of wonderful things about jewelry educating people with jewelry, educating people with stones. This is why I'm talking to you, by the way, because I find that it is totally necessity that someone like you to have as our arm to go out and do this, because it's a hard work to educate people. Because people don't want to be educated. People want to just have it. That's it. They want to have the item. They want to get it as a gift, and that's it. To educate is, that's where we have the harsh time in making jewelry. But we're succeeding because people are beginning to understand it. Well, the other thing we do, or we don't do, is the design is, when we discuss it, I do drawing. I had art. You know, we do wonderful drawing sketches. We never, 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 never sketch it. If we discuss it with you, this ring, that ring, that ring, we say, okay, we put it together. Well, in 48 hours, that piece is made as a model, as a wax. It goes to the mm-hmm. casting house. We make it in silver because it's not as expensive. Next time you come to see the design, you will not see the design. You will wear the design. You will wear that ring. You will wear that shape that we discussed. Once you put it on you, it's different than looking at it in the picture of drawing because we could draw the most amazing things. And that's another way of designing. We don't, I don't take pencil and crayons and say, well, I'm going to draw this and I'm going to go find the ruby and I'm going to find the turquoise. We don't do it that way. I'm a junkie. I buy everything. I could buy an aquamarine for $10, which is totally reject in Tucson. Nobody even, if I say, how much is that? 
they look at me like I'm out of my mind. They're like, okay, okay, take this, please. But we could take that $10 aquamarine to a level that it could end up in a museum, to that level. So I respect the materials that are rejected. Anything that's rejected by wholesale comes to me. I want to give it a home. I'm going to find a home for it. It's not the pearl's fault, the way that was extracted and the piece of bottom of it came off. But the top is the most gorgeous, gorgeous pearl skin that you could ever imagine. But when you turn it, the way it came out, okay, the certain piece stayed behind. You could see inside the pearl. You give me that pearl. And I will make something with that pearl. And I want you to tell me what is wrong with that pearl after we finish and deliver it to you. People gasp. So I refuse to say the word reject. I refuse to say the word semi-precious, mm-hmm. horrible, horrible language, and mm-hmm. the word small stone that are called chips. Oh, oh my gosh, I'm Do so glad you said that. You <laughs> <laughs> it's probably your worst nightmare if you say the word chips. It, How that dare is you? like... that's like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy someone else feels the same way. It's like fingernails on a chalkboard. And I want to turn and look at somebody and say, chips are for sandwiches. No, (laughs) (laughs) there is no such thing as diamond chips in jewelry. Yes. But again, you know, we use, do you understand what's a 0.05 millimeter stone? Yes. Under one millimeter, 0.08 millimeter, 0.09 millimeter, you barely could hold that stone in your hand. The way we set that stone, you could see the table still. Because usually if you take a one millimeter stone that you see most of the time, you set it, the metal will take over. You, you, you know it's mm-hmm. there, but you won't see it. Mm-hmm. That's the hardest part. So if you take a one carat diamond to cut, big deal. Now, if you take a under one millimeter with 52 facets still, well, go ahead, call it a chip because you're making a huge mistake because it's not. <laughs> it's one of the most difficult, most powerful materials known to mankind. You know, we use canary diamonds. I think you could see my uh, um, the butterfly bracelet that's in gunmetal steel that has little canary diamonds on both sides of the frame. Those are all .08 canary diamonds, but these are all vivid matched perfectly the way it's set. People would love that versus a 10-carat yellow diamond. I've tried it. I said, here and here, pick one. They always go for the bracelet. I said, the word canary, they want it because it's so little and it's so effective. So the key in design is how effective could a chip be? that you wouldn't Mm -hmm. dare looking at it and call it a chip. That's where the other design inspiration that comes in, that I could take a 0.05 millimeter stone and bring it to your face and say, what do you think this is? Call it a chip. You wouldn't be able to. You will see it's a diamond. You will see it's a ruby. And you will never say it's a chip. So Mm -hmm. that's another thing we do is we really, really educate the customers is semi is not a word. You know, why would this stone be semi-precious? Who came up with that? Mm-hmm. If it's mined, it's precious. If it's labor, it's precious. 
Thank you so much, Ruben, for sharing your time with me. Thank you for putting us up, and thank you for helping this industry. Well, thank you. It's it's my pleasure, and I, I feel like more people are honoring what makes them unique and special and different, and they're looking for... They're looking for jewelry that honors that as well. So yes. that's, that's, how, um, that's how and why I'm seeking out jewelers and specialists like you. Well, bravo. Good for you, and thank you for doing that. And my wife wanted to know how could she listen to me because I don't talk to anybody usually. So she wants to know <laughs> how I sound. <laughs> I absolutely will. This is going to be a podcast, so do a little bit of editing, but I'll definitely let you know. And I have 10 episodes already on iTunes, so I will definitely send you where you can find this once it's broadcast. I hope you enjoyed hearing Ruben Simentov's story and learning what he does to bridge old world and lost techniques with today's jewelry bringing back exclusive quality jewelry into current time and to the U.S. And honestly, I could have listened to him all day. And I'm so grateful to have had the chance to visit with him. So thank you, Ruben. And check out his Instagram feed. It's at r underscore Sementov. And his website is by the same name, but without the underscore. Um, I'm sure he'd really appreciate you stopping by and appreciating what he makes. If you're in Nantucket this summer, be sure to stop by. He's on 14 Easy Street in Nantucket. It was an honor to spend time with Ruben today, and you may be able to relate to this, but our lamenting and the laugh that we had over shared frustrations about uneducated terminologies that people use was the inspiration for the last episode, number 11, Chips Are for Lunch, Not Diamonds, and Other Helpful Jewelry Tips. If you haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, it's a great prelude to understand more about the metals and terminologies used in both fine and fashion jewelry. And as always, my intentions are to guide with information that lead to connections with jewelers who create in your best interest. I'll have a coordinating blog post later this week, and be sure to subscribe to receive your Jewelry Navigator passport at jewelrynavigator.com. Thanks so much for listening from all over the world. Please leave a review in iTunes. I'd love to hear from you and make connections with you all listening and reading and get to know more about what makes you excited about special jewelry. Follow me and stop by and say hello on Instagram. I'm at Jewelry Navigator as well as Jewelry Navigator on Facebook. And Twitter is a little bit different. It's Jewelry, N-A-V-I-G, the letter, I'm sorry, the number eight and R, Jewelry Navigator. Stop by and say, hey, I'd love to hear from you. Also, one more thing, if you haven't had a chance to subscribe to the podcast yet, Please do. I highly encourage you because as I go along, I'll continue to share more jewelry stories, tips, and lots of surprises that are in store. Watch for Jewelry Navigator in Stitcher and on Spotify coming soon. For now, you can find the podcast on iTunes and Podbean and listen along, like I said, with all the other globe searching listeners for jewelry guidance and entertainment. 
Until next time, cross-check those stone settings and leave her backs. Talk to you next time. Bye-bye.